Well, um, let me pray as we get started. And, um, you know, I've, I've really, this, this message in particular, we're in a series, if you're new to our church, we're in a series called Holy Ghost, and we've been talking about the Holy Spirit for the last couple of weeks. And for the next, for the coming weeks, we're going to move into a topic of spiritual gifts and what they are. And we're going to, we're going to define a little bit. We're going to unmystify, demystify some of the, the gifts like tongues and prophecy. And we're going to talk biblically. What does the Bible say about these gifts? And how are they supposed to be used in the church? Paul gives very specific instructions in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and how, uh, how to use uh, spiritual gifts in the church. And so um, I just want to preface this message. I, I wrote it in my message as the prologue, uh, that I am not an expert in the topic of the Holy Spirit or spiritual gifts, but I do love Jesus with all of my heart. And I believe that nothing is greater than the authority of Scripture. That it alone, it is the authority. And so with that in mind, I'm asking that you would consider holding today's message with grace and with love. Can we do that together, church? You can be confident that I'm not going to preach a false gospel. I'm not going to preach something other than Jesus' death and resurrection and we, we have the Holy Spirit. But know that I am also on a journey to understanding spiritual gifts and as I've constantly surrendered my preconceived ideas and preferences to the Lord, my beliefs about spiritual gifts have morphed over the years because I'm a student of Scripture. And I believe that's how we all are to posture ourselves. We are not supposed to approach Scripture as the experts in every topic. Some of you here that we're doing a topic on the Holy Spirit or spiritual gifts, and you're thinking, oh, man, this is great. I know I have a lot to contribute about this. And that might be true, but we are to humble our attitudes and say, I am a student of Scripture. And so Jesus has the right, the Holy Spirit has the right to reinterpret our theology for us. If it does not align with Scripture, he has the right to make some adjustments. And so I'm asking, would we all be students of Scripture as we journey into this topic about the power of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts? Can we pray? Holy Spirit, we are your students. And we want to learn from your words. We want to receive. We want our hearts to be filled. And we want to understand not just what you've done for us, but what you want to do through us with your power. And, and, and Holy Spirit, give us humility in this moment. Give us grace, love, and understanding as we read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I owned a 2000 Toyota Echo. Anybody know what those cars look like? They're tiny little cars. And my wife named it Bubbles. And I, I met my wife. She named it Bubbles. And I was like, that's a real manly name. Thanks for that. So I got, I got a truck now. And don't worry, I'm not insecure. But uh, I have a truck now. And uh, one day I stepped into my 2000 Toyota Echo. And I tried turning the ignition. And it wouldn't start. And I thought the battery was dead. So I, I went to AutoZone. I bought a new battery. I put the new battery in. And I turned the key nothing didn't work. It still didn't fire up. And so I had a mechanic friend look at it and I discovered that I had an anti-theft system that was malfunctioning. It was preventing the car from starting. And so he told me the price of, you know, fixing the the anti-theft system versus just completely removing it. I said, just take it out of the car. I I don't want it anymore. Just take it out. And as soon as we removed the anti-theft system, the car started up immediately. And today I believe that God wants to remove some systems 
that are preventing us from experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't a power issue, church. If, if there was a genuine moment when you asked Jesus to be in control of your life, then you were given the Holy Spirit and his power is available to you. My car battery wasn't dead. It wasn't the issue. But you may need to simply get rid of some thinking that has prevented that power from igniting in your life. And I think that God wants to ignite something in all of us and awaken us to a new power that the Holy Spirit brings us. He is inside of you. If you have said yes to Jesus, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we need to awaken ourselves to this power. When I was younger, I remember going to a youth leader for prayer, and I was frustrated because I wanted my life to look a little bit more like the book of Acts, and I wasn't seeing it. I was going to church, and we were talking about it, and, but I wasn't seeing the power of the Holy Spirit, and I was frustrated, and I went to this youth leader for help, and I asked him to pray for me, and he told me this. He said, Blake, Jesus was God, and you can't do what Jesus did. You know what? His good intention comment was actually very false. It was actually the opposite of what Jesus revealed when he operated by the power of the Spirit. Jesus even said himself that he refused to play the because I'm Jesus card. You know that because, oh, Jesus could do it because he was Jesus. Yeah, he did that because. No, he refused to play the because I'm Jesus card. He says himself in John 5, 19. Jesus gave him this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. And then he even goes as far to say this a few chapters later. Very truly, I tell you, in John 14, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the father, and I do whatever you... I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Wow. I could stop there. I could walk off the stage. Have a nice day, everybody. Let's do some baptisms. That's a powerful word. I just taught Gideon how to play Monopoly. And uh, there's this, you know, in the community chest pile and in the chance pile, there's a get-out-of-jail-free card. And uh, when you don't have any money in the game and you owe $1,500 to your son every time you're coming across to Park Place, that get-out-of-jail-free card comes in handy because you don't have 50 bucks to pay to get out of jail. And according to John 1, Jesus was God in the flesh, and he had the ability to play the easy card. He had it. He could have used it. He had the ability to say, oh, because I'm Jesus, I'm getting out of this mess, I'm playing the easy card. He could have done that at any moment, but he never did. He never played the easy card. In Philippians 2, 6 through 8, it says, Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus chose not to grasp the advantages of being God. And his life 
was marked by extreme servanthood and humility, and he performed many signs and wonders. He preached transforming messages with authority. He turned water into wine. He fed the thousands. How did Jesus do it without using the advantages of being God? How did he do it? How did he turn the divine tap off, but the well was still there? He still had access. Jesus' baptism gives us the answer. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized into water, and the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus like a dove. And this moment that we see in Scripture serves two purposes. And by the way, the fact that the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus like a dove should remind us of something that we read in the very first verses of Scripture where it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It's this image of a bird flapping over chaos, flapping over the waters of the creation of the world. The Holy Spirit was there in the very beginning. And so this imagery of the Holy Spirit coming down on Jesus like a dove should evoke these thoughts of Genesis 1 verse 2. But this moment of Jesus's baptism where the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus and the heavens part and they hear an audible voice from heaven say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This moment served two purposes. The first purpose that it served is that it affirmed the identity of Jesus. The, the father said from heaven, this is my son who I'm well pleased. And the same thing happens when you receive the Holy Spirit. It affirms your identity as a child of God. It affirms that you belong to God. You are an heir to his promises. The the Apostle Paul describes the Holy Spirit as your seal and your pledge. It is your down payment of a promise to come. Meaning that when you are gifted the Holy Spirit by the sacrifice of Jesus, Jesus prepared your temple. He prepared your body to be clean, to be able to hold the presence of God. And when you receive the presence of God, It is affirming your identity that you now are no longer a slave to sin. You are not possessed by the ways of this world. You are now possessed by the Holy Spirit. He owns you. The Bible says we are slaves to righteousness. And if you are in the faith, that is a good thing to be a slave to righteousness. It is a good thing to be a slave to Jesus because he is the only master that knows and wants the best for you at all times. We are slaves to righteousness. It affirms the identity of Jesus in that moment. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, it affirms your identity as well. The second purpose that it served is that this was a moment where the Holy Spirit began to lead Jesus and empower. Check. Whoa. You want to turn down the reverb on that? I I already did last week. That microphone's giving us issues. That's okay. I'm going to sound really ominous. Hello, church. Welcome. Come, come to desert church. All right. She's going to turn the reverb down on this. So don't get distracted. But this moment was to lead and empower Jesus to do the Father's will. Jesus... There's, there's nowhere in scripture where it's recorded of Jesus doing miracles or teaching before this moment. 
There was this this moment when he was a child and he went to the temple and he was doing his father's will. But uh, but, but scripture nowhere else in scripture does it does it record Jesus doing miracles or teaching teaching uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit until this moment. And when he receives the Holy Spirit in this moment, he begins. And without the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus could not do any miracles or do any ministry aside from the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you having trouble back there? Let's, let's try a different microphone. Where's that other microphone? Check. Wow, we're just reverbing it up. Hello. How's that one? It's working now, I think. Is it working? <laughs> Just needed that feminine touch, I guess. All right. Where was I? Here's the reality of what Jesus chose to do. Jesus chose to operate exclusively by the power of the Holy Spirit to do ministry through spiritual gifts. Jesus had all of the gifts. Did you know this? Jesus had the gift of healing. He had the gift of teaching. He had the gift of prophecy. He had the gift of leadership. He had the gift of exhortation, of giving. He had them all. And let me tell you something. You, as an individual, do not have all the gifts. But we, as a church, the body of Christ, collectively do have all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because we are, as the church, called to represent Jesus to the world. The church is not greater than Jesus, but Christians who are gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit can minister to more people than Jesus could. Because there's a few billion professing Christians today spreading the gospel across the earth, and therefore our personal ministry is the continuation of Jesus' ministry. That you were given the Holy Spirit. You were given the gifts of the Spirit. The the church has been given the gifts of the Holy Spirit to continue Jesus' ministry that he began on the earth. What's the purpose of spiritual gifts? What's the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit? Because we release the power of the Holy Spirit through these gifts, through these, through the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. And what's the purpose of these gifts? Our gifts and talents are to be used for others. That is the purpose. Just like Jesus. The gifts that you have are not for you. They're for other people. The, the talents, I, I love this. Uh, Gary Brashears, he's a professor at Western Seminary. He says, the talents of God are dispensed through the Spirit of God so that the church of God can minister like the Son of God. Let me read that again. The talents of God are dispensed through the Spirit of God so that the church of God can minister like the Son of God. God gives us his power, his gifts, his talents so that we can continue his mission And God has empowered each one of us with spiritual gifts. God has uniquely wired you as an individual with spiritual gifts. And the combination of your personality, your spiritual gifts, your position, where you're at, the relationships that you have on earth, no one else on earth has a combination of those things. You are uniquely positioned to do something in the body of Christ that nobody else can do. And when you are not operating in your spiritual gifts, 
you are missed. Has anybody ever had a toothache before? Or stubbed their thumb, hit their thumb with a hammer? Was it just your tooth that was hurting? Was it was the whole body that was hurting? Come on, it's the whole body. The whole body feels it. When you're not moving in your spiritual gift and when you are not operating through the power that the Spirit has given you, the whole church feels it. The whole body of Christ feels it. And before we dive into what Paul has to say about spiritual gifts in the book of Corinthians, I think it may be helpful to clarify some modern views and define plainly what our church believes about the spiritual gifts. Can we do this for a moment? I'm going to present to you two extreme views on the gifts of the Spirit and two uh, moderate or, or moderations. The first view is the cessationist view. And this view would say that supernatural gifts like tongues, prophecy, and miracles only happened in the early church and they're not to be practiced today. There's no new revelation. So other words, the New Testament has been written. We have the full authority of Scripture. Therefore, no new words are necessary no gifts are necessary. We no longer need to speak in tongues. So uh, we, shouldn't, we, we shouldn't see spiritual gifts on the earth today. That is the cessationist view. The opposite end of the spectrum is, uh, and this is another extreme, is this word of faith view, which, which says that supernatural gifts are given to every generation, that God's kingdom is a present reality with physical, emotional, financial, relational, spiritual healing and prosperity for anyone who exercises faith confession, and contemporary revelations are highly valued. So I don't disagree with the first half of this, that spiritual gifts are given to every generation, that God's kingdom is a present reality. It's here, but not fully here. We live in a present reality of God's kingdom on earth, but it hasn't fully arrived. And when Jesus comes, he will fully bring that kingdom. However, uh, what happens in this word of faith movement or this word of faith view is, is typically uh, contemporary revelations uh, can be valued with the same authority as scripture. So you have somebody who gets up there and says, thus saith the Lord, and they deliver a word, and that has equal authority with scripture, and that is dangerous, church. Because there is no authority above the authority of Scripture, and all revelations and prophecy have to come under submission to God's authority, to God's Scripture, and align with Scripture. Though, so the, 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 one of the more modest or, or moderate views is what we call functional cessationist, the functional cessationist view, which says that supernatural gifts are given to every generation, but because there is poor teaching on these gifts and abuses with them in the church, it's just best to avoid them. So it's a really safe, safe way of saying, yeah, I believe in spiritual gifts, but the church just doesn't know how to operate in them anymore. And so it's just best to stop talking about it. And let's just stick to the Bible. Let's just, and they, they kind of dig their head in the sand. And that is also I believe, not a super healthy view. And here's where I think our church falls. We fall under what we call a continuist view, which says that supernatural gifts are given to every generation. There is contemporary revelation, and it's valuable, but it must align with Scripture. Manifestations are sought, but must be displayed by the fruits of the Spirit. In other words... The character has to be there. The gifts of the Spirit have to be there. We want to see the gifts of the Spirit, but they have to be displayed with character and love as the motive. Humility, love, service to others. The gifts have to be operated with those motivations. So turn with me, if you would, 
to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to begin to read one of the greatest teachings about spiritual gifts that we have in the Bible. Paul wrote these chapters as instruction to the church for how to operate in spiritual gifts within the church. And it's some of the greatest teaching that we have. By the way, I wanted to to let you know some resources that are available to you if you'd like to do a deep dive into this topic. Here's some of the things that I've been reading. This book is called The Promise of the Father, Understanding and Receiving the Baptism with the Holy Spirit by Dr. Steve Schell. This is a fantastic book. It'll change your life. Another one was given to me by Jethro. It's called The Holy Spirit, So What's the Big Deal? And it's by Jerry Cook. I'd also recommend there is a podcast. Uh, if you go online and look at the church, Sanctus Church in Canada, there is a 10-week teaching on spiritual gifts. Um, that's a really great teaching. And, and if you want to learn more, um, I, don't, I forget the pastor's name, Pastor John something. Um, but it's Sanctus Church. And uh, just, just look, for their, um, look for their series about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Is everybody at 1 Corinthians? I was talking to you, and I didn't even turn there myself. What am I doing? Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says this. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. If there's anything the Church of America is today about the gifts of the Spirit, it's a little uninformed. And that's why we're doing this series, church. We want, all of, we want our church to have the same heartbeat. We want all of us to be on the same page, to have the same anthem, because our mission here is to see dry places saturated with the presence of God. And when we say the presence of God and the word saturated, we are referring to a movement of the Holy Spirit. We want to see a move of the Holy Spirit in this area, and so we do not want to be uninformed. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. And therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. What is he talking about in this verse? The church of Corinth was very, uh, was infused with a lot of pagan idolatry, a lot of pagan worship. And so the church of Corinth, Corinth, believe it or not, were seeing spiritual gifts, but not of the Holy Spirit. They were, there were people that were prophesying in Corinth. They were witnessing miracles and the miraculous happening but not by the power of the spirit it was by evil spirits and paul is giving the church instruction for how to identify a move of the holy spirit apart from the move of an evil spirit and you know what he says he he doesn't say here's how you know it's genuine when somebody is actually healed then you know it's genuine paul doesn't say that because they were seeing people being healed what does paul say that you will know is the evidence that it's the Holy Spirit. He says that they will confess Jesus is Lord. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. See, the act of confessing Jesus is Lord is it's, it's itself a work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And it's a confirmation that you have received the Holy Spirit. Let's continue. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, 
the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of of the one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Did you catch in verses 4 through 6? It says that there are different kinds of gifts. That word gifts is not actually there in the original Greek. It's actually the word charismata. uh, or, Or, excuse me, I'm getting this wrong. It's actually the word spirituals. It's a plural name. And so it can be better translated as the spiritual moves or the spiritual acts of the Holy Spirit. There's three categories that we see in verses 4 through 6 of gifts and talents that are rooted in the Trinity. And this is a a Trinitarian statement. He says, uh, did you catch this? There are three different kinds of gifts by the same Spirit distributes them. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in everyone, and it's the same God at work. It's rooted in this Trinity Trinity idea, this Trinity statement. And so in verse 4, we see that it says, Paul says there are different kinds of gifts, and it is the word charismata, which is the root word is the word grace. And so Paul is saying there are different grace gifts, and these are the gifts that are listed in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Paul refers to some of these gifts in this chapter. Romans 12 says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it, if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So Paul says there are different kinds of gifts. This is one of the three categories that we see in verses 4 through 6. The second category that he mentions is that there are different kinds of service. There's different kinds of gifts. There's different kinds of service. Verse 5, the Greek is diakonia. And this is where we get the word ministry or, uh, or, or, or minister. And originally this word meant waiting on tables. It's a service word. It's a servant word. As well as the administration of food. It's what this word originally was, was implying or, or suggesting in And these service gifts are found in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul mentions them here. In verse 7, he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Ephesians 11, or excuse me, verse 11 through 12 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up. Paul here is referring to these acts of service or these kinds of service that we see in Ephesians chapter 4. And then he also says this. There are different kinds of activities. So there are different kinds of gifts, grace gifts. There are different kinds of service, 
servanthood gifts, ministry gifts, and there are different kinds of activities. And this is the general, this refers to the general activity and working and energy of the Holy Spirit. See, these gifts or spiritual things that come from the Holy Spirit are vast. And we're going to talk about some of them specifically over the course of the coming weeks. But first, I believe it's important to, to lay some foundation for these future conversations coming up. And so I want to present to you, I believe I have six, six points. No, five of them. I have five of them. I have five thoughts regarding the gifts that are foundational for this conversation. And so we, if we're going to build this house or this, if we're going to construct together this, this theology through scripture of the gifts of the spirit, the foundation has to start here. All right. Here's five central thoughts about the gifts of the spirit. Number one, God determines which gifts we receive. That's the first one. First Corinthians twelve eleven says it is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. See, spiritual gifts are not distributed buffet style. We don't get we don't get to ask for which gifts we receive. And Paul says we should eagerly desire gifts. Should we desire gifts? Absolutely. He says to eagerly pursue or desire the gifts. However, we're, we are to be content with the gifts that God does give to you. And we aren't to elevate one gift above the other. We, we see somebody with a powerful gift, and, and oftentimes we elevate that person aside from somebody who has a servant's gift and a gift that, that kind of goes unseen most of the time. But that is wrong, that we are not supposed to elevate one gift over the other because it's God's grace, it's His Spirit that distributes to each person the gift that they have. We are to pray for the gifts, but not to seek the gift above the giver of those gifts. And this is why we have talked about this topic of the Holy Spirit and the progression that we have. At week one, we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit, who he is and what his role is in our lives. Last week, we talked about the presence of the Holy Spirit and what it means to be a temple of the Holy Spirit, what it means to be the dwelling place of God's presence. And then today we are talking about the power. Have you asked God what gifts you already have? Maybe some of you do not know what gifts the Holy Spirit has given you. But have you asked God, what gifts do I have? And how can they be used now for the edification of the church, for strengthening and building up the church? And if you don't know what gifts God has distributed to you, our church is going to make a spiritual gifts inventory available to you online. Uh, I'll post it this week. I'll send you an email. And if you want to get on that email list, uh, just fill out a connect card, put your name and email on it, and say, I want to be added to the email list. All right? I'll make sure that you get on the email list. I'll send you a spiritual gifts inventory. And I want you to keep in mind that the list of gifts in Scripture was never meant to be exhaustive. That each one of the apostles, Apostle Paul's list that he gives us in Scripture is never meant to be a complete list of all the spiritual gifts. That, that, that he, he's referencing some of them. And so as you take this inventory, I, I, I would love for each one of us to discover what are the gifts that God has uniquely placed in me so that I can better serve the church now. 
And here's another thing, another tag to that idea. Knowing your spiritual gift is not an excuse to ignore the needs of others who may need you. For example, you can encourage others even if you don't have the gift of exhortation, right? You can pray for healing even if you don't have the gift of healing. You can give generously even if you don't have the gift of giving. Oftentimes we go, oh, well, I don't have that gift, so I'm excused from encouraging others. I'm excused from giving sacrificially and generously. I'm excused from praying for healing. I'm excused from seeking prophecy. I'm excused from it because God hasn't given me the gift. But Paul says we are to eagerly desire those gifts. And at times, you can still meet the needs of people. And if you can't yourself pray for somebody or if you don't have the gift, then find somebody around you that does have the gift. That is why we are the body of Christ. That's why we are the church, is that if somebody needs prayer for healing, find somebody that you know has the gift of healing. If somebody of you needs encouragement, find one of the most encouraging people that you know in the church and say, hey, I need you to come and pray, pray for this person with me. Number two, the same gift may look differently with different people. The gift of leading may look differently with me than it will with you. And the gift of teaching may look different. I, I love this uh, Pastor John from Sanctus Church in one of his podcasts. He referred to this idea as, if you picture in your mind a river, everybody close your eyes. I, nothing weird's going to happen, I, at least from me. I don't know about your neighbor. They might tickle your nose or something. But close your eyes and picture in your mind a river. Everybody have a river in your head? You should by now. Now, what is on either side of that river? River banks. You've got banks. See, every single person's image of the river might be small or big. Everybody probably has a different image of a river in their mind. And, and when the Lord distributes spiritual gifts to us, he gives some of us creeks. He gives some of us rivers. And he gives, gives some of us oceans. We all have a different amount of anointing, a different amount of the gift. And it might look differently with each person. Five people with a teaching gift will all have different levels of anointing. And it's not because some are better than others. It's because the Spirit distributed it that way. He gave some people an ocean. He gave some people a creek. I tell you what, I, I watch some people online, and, and if I'm not careful, we can either fall into one of two ways. We can look at somebody else with the same gift or look at somebody else's spiritual gifts that we don't have, and we can either fall into one or two things. We either fall into pride and feeling superior. God, thank you that I'm a big deal. Thanks, God. Thanks, God, that you've given me a platform and a microphone. Thank you, God, that people see me. Thank you, God, that I have a great gift. And that I don't have something pathetic like servanthood or something like that. We can fall into pride and into feeling superior. Or we go the opposite way and we fall into jealousy and feeling inadequate. We say, God, I, why didn't you give me... That gift, why, don't, why doesn't my life look like that? And we, we begin to belittle ourselves and undervalue the gift that God has given you. Romans 12, <clears throat> verse 3 through 6 says this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone 
Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That's a big statement. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Here's the third thing, and this is a big one. Ability and maturity are not the same thing. Ability, just because you can do the gift, doesn't always mean you should do the gift. Ability and maturity are not the same thing. Oftentimes people are promoted in the church because they have greater gifts in our eyes, in, the, in human eyes. However, sometimes we realize that they don't have great maturity. There's no fruit in their life. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is not there. They're not loving or patient or kind or self-controlled. And Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 13 that the gifts of the Spirit without the fruit of the Spirit is just a noisy gong. Just making noise, making chaos and confusion. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. This is the love chapter in the Bible. We hear this, this chapter read and preached at weddings because it's just so wonderful and flowery. Love is patient. Love is kind. But did you know that this chapter is actually written in the context of church gatherings and of spiritual gifts? How to administer spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit, like I said in previous in my previous messages, that his role is not primarily to give you power. It's to make you holy. It's to make you mature and complete and in love with Jesus and pursuing God with all of your heart. And the Holy Spirit makes us holy and mature, helps us understand the Father's heart through what we call spiritual practices. Through our devotions and our prayer time with the Father and our solitude and fasting, we become more like God and we understand his heart through spiritual practices. Church, I will never promote someone with a gift if their character is not evident. I don't care how marvelous it is. I don't care how wonderful it looks. If you have a prophetic gift and you're spiritually mature, then you will not have a problem bringing your word to me, to the pastor, or to some of the leadership at our church first, and allowing us to share it with other mature believers to determine if your word is from God. If you have a gift... And you're mature, you won't have a problem with that. But immature people will get offended by this process. And I'm not denying that you have a gift, but your gift will only be a noisy gong without a motivation of love. And without, uh, without humility. And without the, the motivation of servanthood to bless and encourage the church. Here's the fourth one. We are to steward our gifts so that the entire church benefits. That's the purpose of it. First Corinthians twelve seven says, "Now to each one of the man, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good." Your gift is not for you. Your gift is not for your pride or promotion. It's for the benefit of everyone else. 
And soon we're going to talk about an example that Paul uses regarding tongues and prophecy. And he isn't belittling the gift of tongues. But in chapter 14, Paul says that prophecy is better in a corporate gathering because it strengthens the entire church, whereas tongues strengthens the individual. And Paul says, when you are together, when you are with each other, I would rather that you prophesy in the language that everyone can understand so that everyone can be built up and everyone can be edified. But when you speak in tongues, you speak in tongues to edify yourself. Having that Jesus moment is important in the quiet of your house, behind closed doors. But Paul says, don't selfishly take the Jesus moment over edifying the church. I would rather you strengthen the church. The parable of the talents is very relevant to this conversation. I think Jesus is is telling his church, don't bury your gift because someone else needs to be strengthened by it. Someone else needs to receive or experience the gift that you have. And here's the last one. Every gift can be cultivated. Every gift can be cultivated. What's the difference between an acquired gift or a natural gift and a spiritual gift? See, athletes have natural gifts. And you can see by my body type, I was not gifted with an athletic build. And they have, they were born this, with this DNA that they were born with these, these natural gifts and abilities and acquired gifts can be sought after through knowledge and practice and experience. Natural gifts were given by God through creation and our DNA. And all gifts can be used for ministry, but spiritual gifts specifically are divine given abilities that enable us to do the ministry of Jesus. Some people have a natural gift, and when they get saved, the Holy Spirit takes over and empowers that natural gift and makes it even greater. We, we see all the time leaders in the secular world, they get saved and they become even more phenomenal leaders. Some people may disagree with me on this, and that's okay. You're allowed to be wrong every once in a while. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Lord, humble me. That was pride. Okay, here we go. I believe that our gifts can be developed over time. And I believe leading people into the presence of God through musical worship, for instance, let me use the example of worship. I believe that leading people into the presence of God through worship is also a spiritual gift that Paul did not mention in his list. And here's the thing. If you don't already have this gift to begin with, then you're probably going to face discouragement again and again throughout your lifetime if you start to pursue that gift and it hasn't, it, you weren't born with it. Does this make sense? I remember when I was a worship pastor, this, this young girl came to me. She was in high school and she wanted to be on the worship team. And this girl was completely tone deaf church. I know it. I, I have I have a heart to, to raise people up and, and to help people. I'm sure Mary would have just like been awesome for this. But I had to gently nudge this young woman away from trying to cultivate a gift that she probably wasn't given. And perhaps I was wrong. I should have cast out the demon of tone deaf and seen her delivered right there, right? Put her on the worship team next week. Maybe I was wrong. But if you genuinely have a gift, you may just be seeing the beginnings of it. And you may just need to take a risk. Perhaps you, there's some of you here 
who say, I think I know what gift God has given me, but I've never really stepped out into it. You see the beginnings of it. You see the little bud that's out of the ground, and you say, I think I've seen this over and over again. I love what this pastor on this uh, Sanctus Church podcast, he, he referred to this as, as connecting the dots in our life, that, that sometimes the, the, the Spirit will come upon you for a, a particular moment. I've prayed for somebody to receive healing, and I've seen healing in their life, but when I look at the track record in my life, it, that has not been a consistent thing in my life. And so perhaps, perhaps that's not one of my gifts, but, but when you look at something in your life and you see dots you say, oh, that happened in this moment early in my life, and it happened again right here, and it happened right here. And you begin to connect the dots. When you start to connect those dots and understand there's something that consistently begins to happen in my life, it comes naturally to me, I get energized by this, that might be a gift that God has given you. But you need to step out and take a risk to discover it. I just took a spiritual gifts inventory this last week. And teaching was one of my high-scoring gifts, but I wouldn't have told you that 10 years ago. I, I, I have been diligent in cultivating this gift over the years, and I've stepped out and practiced and risked when I didn't always feel like doing it. Let me give you another example. If you have the gift of prophecy, I hope that you don't think that God is going to just suddenly take control of your brain and you'll involuntarily start blurting out God's words. Thus saith the Lord. I have a message from the Lord. That's not usually how prophecy works. No, it begins when you start listening to the Spirit's voice. And you step out with risk. And this is why Paul gives us instructions for judging prophetic words. And notice, he did this because he knew some people wouldn't get it right. So he tells the church, here's what you do. When somebody gives a prophetic word, this is how you are to judge the prophetic word. And notice that he instructs the church to judge the word itself and not the giver of the word. That when somebody gives a word, they're not supposed to go like that. They're not supposed to go like that. They're not supposed to condemn the person who gives the word if, if, if it's misplaced or maybe they... We're speaking out of their own mind or their own heart, but they're supposed to judge the word itself. We're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks. The reality is, if we have confessed Jesus as our Lord, we can be certain that we are not under the influence of an evil spirit. We belong to Jesus. We belong to the Holy Spirit. And I can see some of you right now throwing yellow flags on the field, throwing warning signs up. But before you completely call me a heretic, hear me out. Keep tuning into this series, church. Keep coming, coming to the conversation. Keep being a student of Scripture, opening up your heart to receive maybe something the Lord wants to speak to you, and, and know that I'm doing the same thing, that I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to hear from the Lord and to come to Scripture with an open heart, an open mind. And the point is this. With all humility and love as the motivation... We can cultivate the gifts that the Spirit has given us for the benefit of others. Especially the benefit of those sitting to your left and to your right. We're supposed to strengthen and edify one another. Can we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Father, we love you and we thank you that your Spirit is in this place. And God, I thank you that you have a plan for every one of us 
to move into power, to move with character, with humility and love into your, what you have for us. Father, I pray that as we continue this series talking about all the gifts of the Spirit, would you open up our hearts to one another, fill us with what 1 Corinthians talks about, that love and that patience, that kindness, the goodness. Let that be the motivation of these conversations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are going to get ready to do something very exciting. We're going to be baptizing some people today. And as we do, uh, as they get ready, we're going to go into another song. Um, Baptism, I want to clarify this before we get started in this song. Water baptism is, is separate from receiving the Holy Spirit. This is what John referred to as a baptism of repentance. And water baptism is this moment where we publicly display and publicly confess to our family, our church family, what has already taken place in your spirit. If you have said yes to Jesus, and every one of these people who are being baptized today, they have said yes to Jesus. They have died with Jesus into the waters of baptism. And when they come out of the water, it represents the resurrection with Jesus into new life that they've been given a new nature and a new spirit. And so this is what this moment represents, this act of water baptism. So let's sing this song. Would you stand with me, church? We're going to sing this song as we get ready to baptize.